Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Now Hear This is a music review podcast and is not directly affiliated with any artists or album projects discussed on the show. Think of us like your record collection come to life. Well, except for all those Beatles records. (laughs) Just kidding, we know who our audience is. You got a record of your favorite songs You got an hour and it won't take long You got a pair of brand new friends You got a ticket gonna stick to the end I said now hear this Now hear this Now hear this show Each time I go to make an album or a record of any description, I just try to make a good record. You know, that's all, Paul. That's all there is to it. You know, just a good record, just trying to please the customer. The stuff I don't really like uh, will sometimes get converted into a little riff or something and just get used somewhere. But I always use all the all my ideas. I try to anyway. You know. I've got a few from like ten years ago. You know, I still haven't quite used, but I'll slip them in there somewhere someday. Thanks, Mo. <laughs> <laughs> well, here we are. Ah, Beatles jokes. Oh, I missed these. Beatles jokes. Well, what is this? This is an episode of Take It Away, the complete Paul McCartney archive podcast, and an episode of Now Hear This. We're here with Chris Mercer, Paul Kaminsky, and whoever I am. Cur- am I Mo? Curly? <laughs> Mo. Bruce McMouse, from what I hear. I'm a Bruce McMouse, baby. All right. <laughs> He's going to definitely appear during this episode of Cold Cuts. Well, this is exciting. Chris, uh, this is our first time recording together. Oh, I've been a fan of your show for a while. I got hooked, or introduced rather, when I heard that someone on the internet was talking about Return to Pepperland. And I thought, oh, surely... No one on the internet is talking for two hours about Return to Pepperland. Surely I'm mistaken. And don't call me sure. That seems like a reasonable yeah, assumption yeah. to make that that would not be happening. Yeah. And fortunately, my wife got a flat tire up in uh, Valencia. Fortunately, yes. Yeah, so I was sitting in two hours of standstill traffic on the five, and I was like, all right, you know what? I'm going to give this a shot. And then it became my favorite podcast. So, hey, oh. it worked. Uh, you hey. trapped me in a car, and I, I became a fan. So thank you. Wow, that's fantastic. Well, thanks, man. Yeah. And yeah, I'm glad to be here on your show. This is cool. Well, ours is much sillier, and there's a lot more dick jokes. So really... We are sloppier. <laughs> I'll try to, to hang in there. <laughs> 
I'd like to think I can make a dick joke with the best of them, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah. We just barely make it across the finish line every one of those episodes. It's loose. Well, speaking of massive dicks, Paul McCartney. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, Sir Paul McCartney. <laughs> there goes me knighthood. <laughs> Notice how Ryan and I aren't commenting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nice try. <laughs> Not going to bite that dick. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) Well, I mean, something I've wanted to do for a long time. And Chris, on our show, we danced around it because if you haven't heard our show, we walk through all of the McCartney albums and songs from the second the Beatles break up to now. And we address them via albums. And so on a lot of these episodes, we end up talking about these extra songs that make it or didn't make it. I mean, this is the whole debate cold cuts or hot hits and cold cuts it's a collection of rarities and outtakes that paul kept thinking he was going to release starting somewhere around 1977 and then i guess until 86 or 87 we've got a few different stories on that to look over but yeah yeah what's how many stories are there way more than i thought yeah there are quite a few yeah I wanted to share this with you guys. This is my copy of Cold Cuts. There it is. And I found this printout inside of it. Ooh. And I had printed it out at the time I bought the LP. So it turns out I bought it sometime in early 2000. Uh, what does that say? Two. 2002. So February 2002 is when I printed this out. Would have okay. been days after I picked up the LP. I would have picked it up. I was in San Diego at the time. So I would have picked it up at your Amoeba Records there in LA. Oh, wow. Um, on Sunset Boulevard. Yeah. My girlfriend and I went up specifically to go to Amoeba. She was a composer like me. And I found this and nearly pissed myself in the store. Like, <laughs> holy shit, are you kidding? This is the Club Sandwich one. So it's SP11. So it'd be from 1987. And this to me is what Cold Cuts sounds like. Same. The printout that I have here is the Pegboy version, I guess. I'm yeah, the fake label or whatever. It's an Australian company. It seems to sound a little different to my ear. Nothing sounds quite like this Club Sandwich LP to me. Yeah. I even noticed that we'll get to Water Spout, of course, but... The mix of Water Spout on the LP is so much better and so different from any of the other mixes I've heard. Yeah. But we'll come to it. I actually found my Club Sandwich copy of Cold Cuts at Amoeba Records as well Uh about two months ago. Nice. I came across it. Wow. And audibly screamed. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Not not one of those internal screams I've been doing constantly during this quarantine. It was like 20 bucks. This is the best 20 bucks I ever spent. (laughs) Hell yeah. 20 bucks. I ripped that thing immediately and had a CD in the car. Uh, I was so excited. Yeah. Yeah. Just post 9-11, you really needed that pick-me-up. Oh, cold cuts. I did. (laughs) I did, yeah. (laughs) I was going into finishing my dissertation at that time. So yeah, it was tough. I think I got this CD version around the same time. And I have, so I have that vinyl as well. I bought it from the internet five years ago. But I got this CD. In Chicago, they had these things called Beatles Fest. I think they still do them. Yeah. Yeah. And you're walking around and there's all these vinyl and you're going through the vinyl. And I specifically went because I knew this existed and I wanted to find it. And so I'm asking the people, I'm like, so where's the real stuff? And they're like, what do you mean the real stuff? You know, the bootlegs. I'm like, yeah, you can't can't talk about that here, man. (laughs) And I was like... And I was like, okay, but they got to be here. And then some guy came up to me. He's like, go to room... 1049 the password is yellow submarine and i was like am i gonna get killed <laughs> you know it's like jump it so his hotel room i go up i was probably 18 or 19 you know yellow submarine opened it up 
And then on the two twin beds in the room is just all of the bootlegs you could have ever wanted to see ever. DVDs, vinyl, CDs. And I just grabbed a handful and gave the guy a hundred bucks and I was out of there. But wow. I personally benefited from your stash. I still have your entire stash, actually. Everything you got is sitting on my hard drive. That was a good investment all those years ago. Your piano tape CD or yeah, all that stuff. I wish I would have grabbed more. Oh, what was that one? LifeWorks. The yeah, LifeWorks, yeah. The two, the two yeah. LifeWorks CDs. There's, I think, yeah. two other ones as well, but yeah, a lot of weird mm-hmm. stuff. I, too, was at that Beetlefest. I'll be at the New York Metro one. That's Mark Lapidus runs those. Uh, my dad and I went to those every year for like a 20-year run or something like that, and I met a lot of cool people through that. Wow. So I've got this version here. I'm going to pull this up for you that talks about a 78 version. Hmm which was 60 minutes. Now this is mentioned on Discogs, not on the page you gave us, but on the general Discogs page, there's a little description there. And it mentions a 78 version that was going to be 60 minutes long. Hmm. And that seems to be this right here. Notice it's got Proud Mom and Proud Mom Reprise. Oh my. Yeah, it's got Oriental Nightfish. I Would Only Smile. The 1980 version is here. And then the one that we know and love is the 86 version. 86, right. So I was listening through these and the, boy, a lot had happened by the time the 86 version comes along. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you go back and listen to the 78 and this is, I think it says something, oh yeah, soundboard, right? So this is really sloppy. These are sloppy mixes, but I didn't realize that this tomorrow right here, yeah, that you and I covered briefly the yes. weird Moog tomorrow was going to be on a cold cuts at one point. <laughs> yeah. I've never seen that, and we will post that on our website so you can take a look at what we're talking about. I never really knew the Cold Cuts, like, albums proper. I just grew up with those bootlegs around me all the time from my father, so the sequencing and stuff was all sort of new to me, actually, and so when I, you know, when I did buy that record, because I knew those, I know all those songs, like, they're ingrained in my DNA, but when I bought that record, I was thinking, like, boy, the sequence seems odd, and then I started to think, like, Actually, how the hell would you ever sequence these things to begin with? So maybe yeah. it's not that odd, because, like, where the fuck do you put my carnival on something? Yeah, where does best friend rightly go, right? Right, right. So I guess <laughs> the person who put that together did the best they could with what they had. But, yeah, the, look, I love these songs. I really do. The deep cut McCartney stuff, the non-album stuff the bootleg stuff. That's the kind of stuff that I listen to for fun. Right. But I also like have an understanding why McCartney or somebody around him decided that they shouldn't necessarily see the light of day. Hmm. And, you know, you were talking about an official release, like what a mad idea for McCartney to have, especially at the start of his Columbia contract, because like, what the hell would people have thought of this? You know, it's weird. Well, Columbia, it turns out, wasn't having it, right? Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> and it's interesting. That's a, a good perspective to have, you know, that even someone as powerful as Paul McCartney can't just, I mean, if he wants to do it through Columbia Records, he can't just put out whatever he wants. Now, of course, he could have at any time put out an MPL issued LP if he'd wanted, I guess. But right. if he wants to go through the big labels... Yeah, they're going to say, nah, this is a bunch of weird shit, and can you give us the Greatest Hits album instead? (laughs) (laughs) Which, you know, I mean, and and he got away with it with McCartney, too, I guess. You know, like, that's a bunch of weird shit, too, but at least it was sort of a coherent... (laughs) 
Package. Yeah, it was of a piece, right? Yeah. <laughs> His driving around album. Hey, I'll listen to Secret Friend in the 14 minute version any day of the week. I mean, look, you're preaching to the Pope over here, buddy. I, you know, <laughs> give me dark room anytime. So I guess so just some of the history, and we can walk through this. So it was conceived in '74. At least it was thought of as an idea of non-album singles and previously unreleased tracks. Then he starts working on this when they're in Nashville. Yeah. So I guess that's Venus and Mars or the Junior's Farm era. Yeah. Right. It was called either Cold Cuts or Hot Hits and Cold Cuts. And that's spelled (laughs) H-I-T-Z-K-O-L-D-K-U-T-Z. Oh, boy. Yeah, the Hot Hits idea, this would have been a smart way to put it out because Hot Hits would have collected up non-album singles, as you say. I remember as a young Paul McCartney fan in 84, 85, how hard it was to track down fucking Give Ireland Back to the Irish or Sea Moon or anything. It was so hard. You just had to luck upon them in a record store. We talked in the podcast about my Portuguese import of High, High, (laughs) High Sea Moon that I found in Fayetteville, North Carolina, you know. Fayetteville. Yeah. So that's a very appealing idea. You collect up all the non-album singles and you give everyone... I mean, these are some of his all-time best rejected tracks. Yes. Many of them better than what was on the corresponding album. I find it odd that in that time frame, he was thinking not only of this Hot Hits Cold Cuts idea, but you also get at that time the one-hand clapping stuff, which I think, if I'm not mistaken, was meant to be an album called Wings Live in the Studio. Hmm. Also a strange idea. You know, a lot of strange ideas happening on that Putnam farm in 74. Ready? Ready? Ready, Andy? Let's cut it. So, okay, I guess he releases Venus and Mars. So this is after Van on the Run, where he comes up with this idea. He's like back, and he's trying to peddle his trash as gold. Well, he's got all that stuff from Red Rose Speedway, right? Right, and Ram. He's got an album's worth of rejected material from Red Rose Speedway and Ram. And you say peddle trash is gold. (laughs) What you're talking about, I love this stuff. Yeah, well, (laughs) right. It is, like, we all love it, and it is very good. It's not trash. Yeah. I guess in the eyes of the label, I'm trying to think of the eyes of the label. If I was the head of the label, like, Paul McCartney's bringing me his rejected tracks to a Ram, which is commercially destroyed, and I think Red Rose Speedway was, too. Yeah, (laughs) it's true. It's true. These are leftovers from, from, like, reviled albums. (laughs) I mean, Red Rose Speedway was a hit, though. You know, that was a number one record. Right. It was not well loved by critics, though. Boy, was it ever smashed. Sure. I always look at Red Rose as like his journey back. It's true, yeah. Yeah. So then puts out Venus and Mars, has a big hit with that, does the world tour, does London Town, Mulliken Tire, big hit, or Girls School, depending upon <laughs> what you're a fan of. <laughs> then back to the egg bombs, but he comes back with McCartney, too. And I guess then you have the. Back to the Egg Band that I guess worked on this during 1980. I don't know if whether that was before or after John was killed. After. I think it was February 81. 
Yeah, as late as January and February 81, Wings was adding overdubs to this. Wow. And yeah, this idea that it was in bad taste to put this out in the wake of John's death, that's interesting. Too wacky or why? why? Well, it is all very wacky, but that's why I love this stuff so much. Why is that offensive to John? I don't know. I can see how it was a very graceful move to hold off and then put out Tug of War, this elegant album, instead. But I don't see why it would have mattered. I don't either. You know, Columbia... Really kind of got the shit end of the Macca stick for a while there, though, because, like, I love Back to the Egg. I really do. But, you know, as you say, Ryan, like, that was not a terribly successful album. I guess Goodnight Tonight was kind of a hit single. But that era of McCartney, I wonder if Columbia had a little buyer's remorse. I know that among, you know, the many fans that Ryan and I have interacted with on Facebook and elsewhere, Back to the Egg is really a disliked album. Which is odd to me. I really like that record. Yeah, he and I went real easy on it in the show, but it seems to be really much hated among fans. Yeah, I don't get it. His voice still sounds cool. It's starting to show some of the cigarette strain, which is still, but he can still scream. Yeah. You know, well, I, like, I didn't bring it up to argue the point, just to make note that it's not a well-loved album. So there's Columbia with this big dud on their hands, you know, right, right. followed by a wacky, wacky <laughs> album, McCartney yeah. 2. Yeah. I could see how, yeah, maybe now's not the time for Mama's Little Girl. I could maybe see that. Yeah. <laughs> Two big piles of weird, and they're like, what? But, you know, when listening to these songs a bunch recently... I do find a lot of similarity to this and Back to the Egg in places. They toggle hard between trying to ape the sound of the time Mm -hmm. and purposefully rejecting the sound of the time for Mm. Macca's unique brand of weirdness. It's like Mm. sometimes I feel like he's, he's got a schism going on where he can't really decide if he wants to lean really hard into a commercial or what he thinks is a commercial sound or actually just completely diverge from it. I find that on Back to the Egg. You get something like Old Siam, Sir, and you, or Spin It On, rather, which is him trying to do punk. And then you also get Arrow Through Me. Hey, you find it on Egypt Station. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> well, Bayou is sitting there like a sore thumb, you yeah. know? True. Meanwhile, the rest of the album is actually art rock. That's right. That's you know? right. Yeah. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. Curse you, Ryan Tedder, and your yeah. fucking pop bullshit. Harry Styles stuff. Wait, guys, I'm so excited. I actually get to respond to Chris now. Oh, I'm so excited. Oh, my goodness. Chris, I really like Fuh You. Oh, God. Uh, well, Fuh You, man. I, <laughs> I rolled my eyes the first, I want to say, 20 times at that song. And then by 21, I was like, hey, this is kind of a nice little jingle. Well, maybe I haven't gotten there yet, man. Chris, you just have to listen to it another 19 times, and then you'll start to like it. <laughs> So this was then, I guess, resurrected again, what, Ryan, in 86, 87 time frame, I guess, right around the time of All the Best. All the Best, yeah. We are, our Peg Boy release is 87, and then I guess he would have been working on, I mean, he made it through Tug of War and Pipes of Peace, and then pulled it back out during Broad Street? Or maybe he went back to it after Broad Street. Just to clarify, Pegboy is a CD that came out later. It's Club Sandwich that came out in 87. Okay, okay. So if Club Sandwich put this out, doesn't that mean Paul put this out? Isn't that his fan club? Well, is he directly affiliated with Club Sandwich? I don't know. I was trying to get to the bottom of this damn thing, because I thought, surely, when I picked up this Club Sandwich thing, that that meant it was tied to the magazine and therefore an official release. But then everything I was reading online was saying, no, it's not an official release. And that maybe somebody, who, the person that put this out was simply using Club Sandwich as like a mock label for it. Mm. Well, that would make sense. 
That would be a, a smart choice for a, a label name, for a fake label name. Go with the fan club. No, I believe you on that. I didn't actually look up whether that was a real deal. What's interesting about it is that it's listed as, you know, the serial number on it is SP11, which SP, I don't know what it stands for here. And I don't know if 11 really means the 11th in some bootleg series or what. I guess we now can assume that it's not a, an official club sandwich release. So what yeah. the heck is SP? And no is idea. it the 11th in a series? Maybe some of our bootleg experts will let us know on this. Somebody on the internet, please tell me. Yeah, I don't know. And I'm looking, the other Club Sandwiches releases on Discogs. I see the Lost McCartney album, which is just an expanded McCartney 2. And that's not official. I see the soundtrack to the James Paul McCartney television special. Also not official. I've got that. It's just a white label. There's nothing on the label. (laughs) It's awesome. So that's definitely a bootleg. By the way, I love that soundtrack. Gotta sing, gotta dance. It's so silly, but I love it so much. <laughs> yeah. We did some serious eye rolling about that on, on TIA. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I had to pull my wife into the room and show her, like, look, he, like half all half the dancers are, are male looking and female looking. And she's like, don't show me this anymore. It's very typical of what those 70s television specials were like. Like, have you oh, ever yeah. seen any of the Carpenters specials from that time? They have all sorts of little skits and routines and dance numbers and yeah. There's that wonderful Uncle Albert video where they're all in the receptionists and stuff like that. It's it's really cool. Yeah. Hey, I get to respond to you guys about something. That's kind of fun. Okay. Uh, <laughs> on Xanadu, all of the Olivia Newton-John stuff except for the title track was done by Olivia Newton-John's team at the time. John Farrar wrote the songs and produced. Those were basically like full-on Olivia Newton-John tracks. Okay. Except for Xanadu. So basically side two is ELO, and she sings on the track Xanadu, which they wrote and recorded. But side huh. one is is like primo ONJ. I'm a big, big Olivia Newton-John fan. Yeah, you are. I know that for sure. <laughs> I wanted to come back with that uh, note on your episode. From the ELO episode, yeah. That's right, yeah. God, I love that episode, and I love that album. We talked about Jeff Lynn's Bush on that one. Uh, that oh. Was fun. oh, yeah. <laughs> so he's in Hog Hill mixing this up, I guess, with Chris Thomas for some of it. But he's adding stuff to these tracks. It just seems so far out to me that in that late in the 80s, he's working on stuff that was intended for Red Rose Speedway. It's just wild. That is cool. Yeah, but if you put it in context, it's not so long ago from his point of view. In 1987... I mean, Water Spout's 10 years old. Right. That's a good point. That's 2010 from your point of view. Is that an old track, really? I mean... No. And he does that all the time, right? He pulls up old tracks all the time and puts them on an album all of a sudden or rewrites them or rearranges them. So With that Frank Sinatra's party, right? From Yeah. And I'm thinking of um, I'll Give You a Ring, for example, right. showing up as a B-side, right. being actually a very old tune. So right. it wasn't something, you know, that alien to him and... Even though we think of the late 80s as such a different time from the 70s, it wasn't that long ago, you know, at the time. So Yeah, that's fair. I, I'm thinking specifically about like that Put It There single where some of these mm. tracks wound up. It just oh, yeah. seems it's so weird that that's a good point. Yeah. You get 89, 90 McCartney. I guess that was recorded more like 87 or whatever. But although didn't they put Mama's Little Girl on that Put It There single? Yeah, Mama's Little Girl on same time next year. <laughs> well, they're of a piece. I mean, they're Peas in a Pod, those two tracks. That's true. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Very different voice, very different singing. But yeah. Well, I actually got out the album and listened to it this morning specifically for Water Spout because 
the version on here is in fact the version I thought I hated. I just don't hate this mix. Yeah. It turns out that the horns on the LP are mixed way down and EQ'd to sound very thin. So mm. they're just like this part of the texture. Also, the synthesizers kind of blend in. Some of the digital remasterings I've heard of it really play up the 80s sounding horns. Ba -ba 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 -ba. Yeah. All that, you know, <laughs> Rick Astley sounding horns, you know, thrown on there. But this mix really plays them down, the one on the LP. Yeah. So again, it's got all the additions you're talking about, but it's mixed in a way that isn't so obnoxious. Really, the, the emphasis is on the vocals. Tasteful, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just for fun, I made like a uh, like an optimal, let's call it uh, prime cold cuts. So like mm. every official modern release of these songs I could find, like the most modern, most official versions of each of them, yeah. I made a mix of that with the running order. Aha. You know, I, we'll get to it, you know, when we go through the track by track, but there was some surprises in there. Like on A Love For You, where that jangly old-timey Western piano was raised way the fuck up in the mix. Mm. But that's got Old Man Mac on it, too. Isn't that the god-awful in-laws version? I really kind of really do really... Uh, yeah, it was... Yeah, it's... Oh, I hate it. Oh, I loved it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> with old Man Mac just showing up right on top of, like, squeaky little... Squeaky little 1970... <laughs> <laughs> He's doing the little Mickey Mouse voice, and then he's got old men. Yeah, you do. I really can't. I really should. Yeah, it's really ridiculous. Yes, I do. Yeah. It's <laughs> hey, guys, this is everything I dreamed it would be. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Ryan, would you mind if we sauntered over to the bullet corner for a moment? Would that be okay? Oh, we're going to do the bullet corner. Oh, I did, was not expecting this. What's the bullet corner? Good morning. I'm going to be your instructor. Okay, I know you're anxious to jump right in. Not sufficiently acquainted with the show. To... Paul, you're up. Tell All right, Mercer. So the bullet corner is where I summarize the album we're listening to with weird poetry mm -hmm. in several bullet points. So just buckle up. All right, here we go. Uh, yeah. All right. So I have I have four for this one. I don't normally do four, but I have four. Some of them are short. So my first bullet: a most curious bowl of mac and cheese. <laughs> That's pretty good. Thank you. Uh, my second bullet. <clears throat> Gnawing at the wood at the bottom of the barrel to lap up that muzak to my ears. <laughs> it must be my big day. <laughs> uh, my third bullet. Race cars and water wings and eggs prepared by Joe Strummer that were left in the microwave way too long. <laughs> okay. And my last in the selection here. Here, hold my potential. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, it's been Paul's bullet good. corner. Thank you. Could also have been take my potential, please. <laughs> Amazing. So in going through the bigger track listing, I guess, Ryan, so you sent that sort of like, here's all the songs that were up for consideration. Ooh, are we going to do Ryan Reads a List? Should we do a Reads a List? We got a real opportunity here. I got a list of demands written on the palm of my hands. I'm all about this, and you got no idea. We live in land of mouth. All right, so these are all the songs that we think are considered for this. 
project, whether it's the three versions, and you'll see that image online. So A Love For You is from RAM era. A Love For You came out on RAM, the 2012 edition. There's different versions of it. It's That one's supposed to be the mix from 81. Best Friend, which I believe is from the 1972 Wings Over Europe tour. Best Friend that was reissued on Red Rose two years ago in 2018. Blue Sway, which was in the Richard Niles era in 86. There's the McCartney 2 sounding demo, and then there's this version that has all these strings. Yeah, McCartney liked that so much. There's an official music video on his YouTube right now just yes. of people, I think, surfing. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. I don't mind his these weird instrumentals that he does. You know, I... I I think I prefer like squid or hand glide to this one, but mm. I ultimately I think this one's you know good. Yeah, it's a cool, it's a cool little song, and then Not uh, quite up to hand glide. I <laughs> love hand glide. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> I like hand glide too, actually. So then you've all heard of Sea Moon, non-album single from '72. Cage, my favorite of this whole pile. Very That's. Good. That's the thing that got knocked off of Back to the Egg by Baby's Request. And coming up, man, a number one hit single. Did We Meet Somewhere Before, rejected as the main theme for Warren Beatty's Heaven Can Wait. And then I guess that's the song that was used in rock and roll high school for some reason. Yeah, but with a with a really stripped down mix, apparently. Very that, weird. And yeah. just the movie, not the soundtrack. It didn't even make its way to the soundtrack. Yeah, that's right, yeah. But the yeah. mix is so different than the one they use in the movie. It's interesting. It's like a little rock song, actually. Hmm. Like a little huh. soft rock tune. No orchestra or anything. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I got to revisit that movie. It's on that four CD set I was showing you a minute ago. Oh. I got to download that. I mean, purchase it legally. <laughs> and then there's uh, Good Night Tonight. You all know that. Disco Jam, Hey Diddle, which I didn't even realize this. There's Ram Era Hey Diddle. There's Venus and Mars Hey Diddle. There's Fiddles. Hey Fiddle. Hi, hi, hi. Big song. I remember a point in my life where I thought hearing something like hi, hi, hi was hearing a rare gem. And then you you keep digging. It's like, how many of these are there? I Would Only Smile. That's a Denny Lane song that made its way out in 2018 but it was also originally released on japanese tears yeah hey hey denny if you're listening junior's farm not album single lunchbox odd socks love it (laughs) big fan new orleans 75 (laughs) mama's little girl which came out what put it there yeah 1990 it's like all this trying to collect all these it's insane those are good mixes by the way on that put it there single oh yeah it's very very good i wish we had that version of the album my carnival or my carnival or whatever you want to say <laughs> releases the b-side of spies like us and you i know, have this that's one that i got when it came out you know and i didn't know what the fuck <laughs> my carnival was supposed to be what it had to do yeah, yeah i figured out that it was old but yeah i was trying to figure out the rationale for that and i landed on i guess he was just looking for something he had in the can that felt like an exotic location a spy might go to or kind of a party like they call it the party mix on the 12 inch mm-hmm. single i think there's a the few. spies like us has a party vibe and he was just going for party sounding things there's a yeah the, those many many mixes of my carnival i think is what made me ultimately hate that song <laughs> well we'll get back to that i actually have some 
I'm going to change your opinion about that one a little bit. So Night Out, <laughs> which I guess the version we got from the Red Rose reissue was the instrumental version. And I would assume then in the Back to the Egg or possibly even in the 80s is when the verses come from. The verses make it. Yeah, the verses make the track. And yeah. I remember just putting that on Red Rose Speedway reissue. I was like, yes, finally. And then over, <laughs> fuck, fuck. <laughs> They've done that to us a few times, actually, with the with the archive releases. Sunshine sometime, I think, on Sunshine well. sometime. And that's not the real Hey Diddle yet. It's a it's a Hey Diddle that they put yeah. out on Ram, right? But it's not quite the one, the cold cuts one. So yeah. You gotta keep the McCartney family wealthy, is what my point is. <laughs> <laughs> keep buying product. Oriental Nightfish, which ended up on Wild Prairie in 98. It's a great little video. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's from 73. Yeah, Susie and the Red Stripes stuff right there. Proud Mom and the Proud Mom Reprise. That was another one I didn't recognize. I heard these for the first time today. Me too. I'm going to skip ahead on the list of Tomorrow Instrumental because I have a story, very quick story about it and (laughs) Proud Mom. Wow. I was listening to Tomorrow Instrumental going, what the fuck? It's weird, but kind of i love the little synth thing going on and the whole time i'm thinking like what does this remind me of what does this remind me of there's an instrumental this reminds me of yeah but how do you verbalize an instrumental to google how do you you can't sing it to google <laughs> so you just kind of have to like sit with it in your head and try and hum it as much as you can and blah blah blah, blah, blah. and i didn't know and it was driving me guys it was driving me insane <laughs> I'm going down the list and I don't recognize Proud Mum, so I'm like, okay, what's that? I pop that on. Solved it for you. It was the one I was thinking of. I just wow. didn't know it had a name. Nice. I was like, bum, 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 bum. Bum, bum, bum. Okay. <laughs> all right. And that was. <laughs> you didn't think there would be dancing, Chris. There will be. Hey, yeah, I, that blew my mind this morning, Proud Mum. I'd seen the. I'd. In fact, I think we must have listed it. One of Ryan's lists definitely mentioned Proud Mom. Yeah. Because I've seen it in a list and I've heard of it. But I guess I thought it was unavailable. It was one of those, yeah. like, yeah, who knows yeah. things. And there it was, sitting there right there on Cold Cuts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it was originally recorded for use in a commercial for Mother's Pride Bread. And I can only imagine yeah. the executives getting it and being like, what? <laughs> we do not want our bread associated with this. <laughs> on earth are you telling me right now? This sends the wrong message. This sends the wrong message about our bread. (laughs) It's not a pot smoking bread, okay? It's not can of bread. Our users do not like raga or reggae music and Moog synthesizers and whimsy. Uh, Oh my God. (laughs) So why'd you ask Paul McCartney? Yeah. (laughs) Or was he just offering it? Came up with a jingle for you. Here it is. I had a couple free hours. (laughs) Somebody in a boardroom somewhere is saying, Guy, is that a whimsical piano I'm hearing? Did we pay for that? How much was the whimsy? Fire whoever approved that P.O. Uh, Speaking of whimsy, Robber's Ball. So this was either cut or, I don't don't know the story behind Robber's Ball very well. but Lawrence told us that he had a huge contribution to that, remember? Yes, I do remember that now. So then from there, same time next year, another rejected film song that ended up on the Put It There single in 90 that Mama's Little Girl came out on. Seaside Woman, Susie and the Red Stripes, 72, but it was actually released in 77. 
under that name. Send Me the Heart. That's McCartney and Lane from Nashville in 74 out on Japanese Tears. We're almost done, everybody. I know everybody's falling asleep. Thank you, darling. Love it. Outtake from Red Rose. The Mess. Yes. So that's the live recording, not the studio recording, although studio recording does exist. Tomorrow is an instrumental. We already talked about that with Paul just moments ago. That's from Venus and Mars in 75. Tragedy, a remake of Thomas Wayne's 1959 ballad, which is from The Red Rose. Sessions, we'll get into that in a bit. Twice in a Lifetime, recorded for the Twice in a Lifetime movie in 1985. Walking in the Park with, is it Eloise? Eloise, yeah. 74. I forgot about that one. Wow. That's the one he recorded for... His dad. Jim, yeah. And Chet Atkins is on that, I think? Come on. Whoever... It's a famous country musician. I want to say Chet Atkins. And I learned about this on the Yesterday and Today podcast. Sorry for the shameless plug. But no, that was Paul playing that for Chet at a party... And then Chet said, oh, we should actually, we should do that and we should make it, uh, make a real recording for it. And that's when Paul got the idea to do the, do it as like a gift for Jim. Hmm. We had somebody on the Yesterday and Today podcast that was a fan who conned their way onto Junior Putnam's farm and spent the whole couple weeks with Paul and Wings as a gopher for them to like go on runs and get stuff for him. So we heard all these wild stories about what was going on on that farm. Wow, that's, yeah, we're gonna have to get back into that. Only two more, Water Spout, which we'll get to and the track order, and then Wild Prairie, which was written by Linda and recorded in 73 in Paris with dubs in Nashville. And then that's it. That's the big list. We made it through the list. Hey! So... I thought that we should just roll through the 87 Club Sandwich version of this. Yeah, let's do it. All right, we made it. Side one, track one, a love for you. originally came across this song i don't know about you guys but with that in-laws version in 2003 same yeah Hmm. and it's funny i did a little digging to try and find how the hell that wound up on that movie yeah how is that soundtrack i did not find anything although the guy must have been a mccartney fan to a certain degree because there's also an alternate take of live and let die included on that huh and again, I did not wind up tracking down that soundtrack or listening to whatever that alternate take is, but clearly the guy was a fan. But there's also Badfinger on that soundtrack, so clearly the guy, he's a Beatle guy. Well, I did actually find that what happened is the director was a fan, and he, you know, he straight up said to Paul, he's like, I'd like to include this on the album. And Paul was like, well, I guess you can, but let me finish it. And so that's why we got those overdubs. Yeah. So huh. blame the director for, oh, really? I can't even do it. The, just the dry old man. Yeah. 
Interesting. Yeah, I actually got to know this. This was one of my Napster, late 90s Napster finds. Mm. I didn't get to know the in-laws version. I didn't even hear that till years later. I had gotten to know more or less the Cold Cuts version. When I finally got the Cold Cuts LP, that immediately became my preferred version. But the ones I had found on Napster, I had gotten three or four on Napster that, yes, Napster, like in the (laughs) old days. And I had found three or four versions and had burned a CD of that. So this was one of the ones I was way in love with by the time I actually found the LP. There are several of those that I knew before I got the LP. So yeah, the in-laws one really disappointed me. In fact, I think Ryan showed me that. I think I got that from Ryan Yeah, and was so disappointed. I think we talked about it. Like what the hell happened there? Why is old man Mac on that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was the one I knew, so it didn't bother me at the time. But going mm. back, I, I do like the one from Cold Cuts. I also appreciate that apparently it was mixed by someone named John Kelly at Hog Hill on Halloween night, 1986. Bummer. Uh, that huh. version. So yeah, I'm just <laughs> sitting around in Scotland on Halloween night mixing a love for you. What are you doing? <laughs> what happens in Scotland on Halloween night? I Some sort of bizarre sheep sacrifice, I assume. Watch out. <laughs> I'll never mispronounce Glasgow again, that's for fucking sure. (laughs) (laughs) Our Scottish fans let us know about that. Do you know who Kenny Daglish is or whatever the hell that guy's name is? Yeah, what is Paul saying at the end of of that live coming up, by the way? Is that... Oh. Is that... uh, (laughs) I was so happy you guys talked about that because I never knew what he was saying there. I thought it was, yeah, you dumb fish. And I was wondering, why is he calling me? Why is he insulting the audience? Yeah, you dumb fish. And now, because of that, I have to read two emails a day forever <laughs> correcting us. With Hamish, too. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. Hamish. Oh, my God. Hamish. God, I'm an idiot. <laughs> this song, I, I agree with you, Chris. Like, this is a favorite McCartney song of mine. Although. I can see why it was ultimately cut from Ram because it wasn't ready. Yeah. The lyrics are a little silly. They're very silly. Yeah. I think they're improvised actually. Yeah. You really can really do really have, like you said before, yeah. but you also like you have Monkberry moon delight, which kind of fills the weird void that this song kind of has mm. in it. It has that vocal quality almost <laughs> of Monkberry, but Monkberry's much better. So you, you really have like, this song is like good, you know, but it also, there's better versions of this song already on the album. And the, right, the story goes that McCartney supposedly heard All Things Must Pass and started making all kinds of changes to Ram to, to make hmm. it better. I don't know how truthful that is, although hmm. I, I do tend to believe that McCartney had that competitive streak in him. Right. But I can see why it was left off, although it's a shame because that Elvis impression making it to record would have been something very special. Well, the vocals are very interesting because you can tell on many of the vocals from that period how far he was from live performance because he was singing in head voice. That's a uh, not falsetto and not chess voice. It's this. It's basically it's this right here, ah, which is different from falsetto. And to get that loud and clear and in tune, you have to spend a lot of time really honing that skill. And you could tell he was at home, singing at home all the time. So <laughs> this this vocal on A Love For You is this squeaky little head voice vocal. And they put a lot of slapback reverb on it to make it sound 
louder than it really is, but he's squeaking. And I think he's making up the words as he goes, more or less, you know? Huh. Compare the singing voice on that to the way he's singing around Wings Over America, where he's got a strong, full, loud, singing out kind of voice. Sure. Well, the head voice tracks would be things like Mama's Little Girl and Ram On and yeah. Where it's a, it's a it's a Brian Wilsony kind of voice. Uh, our favorite hamburger boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just like it near the end where Paul says "baby." It was like between ten and fifteen times in a row, <laughs> just like a maniac. <laughs> baby, 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 baby. <laughs> like yes, I love this. I love it too. Like this song, you know, really is kind of a uh, an encapsulation of the whole record for me. It's just like Paul's most bass. And not the instrument, but his like bass go-tos are all over this song. There's impressions yeah. in it. There's weird piano. There's a lot of improvisation. It, it reminds me, it's like what I say about like um, Pipes of Peace. Like when I listen to that album, I always think like that's just Paul's subconscious. We're just sort of tapping into his subconscious. It's not particularly good, but it's it's what it's the sound that his brain is making at all times. And that's why I, I get that on a lot of these tracks and this one in particular. So I guess the next song, My Carnival. So this is the one out of all of these for the longest time I could not stand until in the last year I've dedicated myself to learning boogie woogie piano Mm. and like all the boogie woogie changes. And it's one of what it's a 16 bar blues. Is that what it is? Something like that? Roughly? It's a 12 bar blues. Yeah. Maybe it's 12. Sure. And... I don't know, I really I really like the song now. It's just so stupid. <laughs> This is basically just him taking Professor Longhair's stuff and just tweaking it a little. Like he just, this is everything the Nigerian people were afraid he would do to their music. (laughs) (laughs) Like he just walked in, like there's a song that Professor Longhair did. I think it's called Go to the Mardi Gras. When I'm going to New Orleans, I'm going to see the Mardi Gras. Yeah, it's exactly the same. The same thing, yeah. While you go to New Orleans, you ought to go see the Mardi Gras. And it is a party situation. I think they were just fooling around. Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think this is a long time before appropriation entered the cultural conversation, A, but also ever entered McCartney's head as a concept. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's clearly having fun. He's trying to absorb the atmosphere. I'm not saying it's him stealing, but it is It is basically just that song. And he's having fun. Yeah. Yeah. The meters are on the track. Yes. Love the meters. And it was done at Alan Toussaint's sees saint studios sometime in 75 what did denny tell us about that track didn't he say that he played piano or double bass or something like that? yeah he said he played the double bass on it uh, so but we have conflicting reports about that he says that but then i think parasi said something else yeah it was a party who knew they could have been doing overdubs you never really know the footage of them recording some of the backing vocals and hand claps and stuff is really fun i love that stuff is it a great song? No, but it's, I could see Paul trying to maybe make this a, into a thing that's played during the Mardi Gras all the time, but I don't think it caught on. I've never heard somebody <laughs> be like, you know that Mardi Gras song, man, New Orleans, oh, it's so good. Eh, it's just, it's the B-side to a single that has Dan Aykroyd on the front of it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of Dan Aykroyd... I fell down a little rabbit hole with this one on the Spies Like Us soundtrack. Okay. Oh, um, yeah? So, hey, guys. Peter Aykroyd, Dan Aykroyd's uncle, has a song on that soundtrack. What? Really? Do you guys know this? Like, no. He's a, no. And he's also an Emmy Award-nominated producer-director. I had no idea. Peter Aykroyd. I've heard the name Peter Aykroyd. I've heard that name, actually, now that I think about it. I just didn't know it was the same Aykroyd. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you want to go down a rabbit hole, check out Joe Rogan's interview with Dan Aykroyd. Just the most recent interview of Joe Rogan and Dan Aykroyd. I've watched it five times. fucking shit. I'm obsessed with it. It's one (laughs) of the funniest thing I've ever seen. It's amazing. It's Rogan gently trying to inject a little common sense into the conversation, and Dan Aykroyd's not having it. (laughs) There is literally a moment in the interview where he says, I believe that I'm an alien. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, and they're drinking the Crystal Skull vodka, which they apparently pour over diamonds because it makes it taste better. Why would it make it taste better? Joe Rogan asks, quite sensibly. Why would pouring it over diamonds make it taste better? And yeah. Dan Aykroyd said, well, we just know that we pour it over diamonds and people say it tastes better. Clearly. All right. <laughs> Rogan just left it. Like, all right. I am a Ghostbuster. Clearly, I'm a doctor of the supernatural. <laughs> I love that man so much. Hey, Ray, you're not sleeping with the vodka, are you? It's always the quiet ones. It's always the ones that think they're aliens. Is this all going to be on the show? Oh, every last second. Normally, I edit my stupid moments like that out, so... Okay. So, I love the Spies Like Us song so much. I have very fond memories when I was a kid of watching that video, and there was something about the validation of watching a Ghostbuster dance to Paul McCartney that made me feel very, very good inside. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, He's at the board in the music video, fake doing the guitar stuff. Yeah. Very, very good. Love that song. I know we're not talking about that song. Ryan, didn't we pretty well savage that on Taken Away? (laughs) Yes, you did. Spies Like Us, yeah. You must have hated that. Yeah. Sorry, Paul. <laughs> oh, no, it was great. I, I told Ryan, I was often like sitting in like a grocery store parking lot alone in my car, just screaming into the void. Well, we just tried to be honest, you know. <laughs> I appreciate that. I do. <laughs> just before we leave my carnival, and believe me, I'm in a, a rush to leave my carnival. I don't know if that's true. I hate my carnival. There's nothing worse than my carnival. <laughs> Get me out of here. <laughs> <laughs> 
you talk about the party and and when i was watching that video of them all dancing and, and drinking and smoking and singing my carnival and going to the mardi gras i was thinking like boy that looks like a lot of fun and you know there's that part of you that's like ah oh, you know the cowboy lifestyle the rock and roll lifestyle whatever and then i'm thinking like boy there's little kids in that mix you know, you want to think, you think of them, there's that image of them as like very good parents. Cause like yeah. Paul's got that fatherly thing about him, especially these days, but, or the grandfatherly these days. But I also think about, boy, those kids really, they really eked it out there. They, mm, they missed it by that much, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. So water spout. Yeah. How do you feel about that one, Mercer, man? Oh boy. How do I feel? I love water spout. Man, this is one of the gems of unreleased Paul McCartney, and it kind of drives me crazy that it's not more widely known, although Macca fans know it, definitely. Yeah, Serious Macca fans know their water spout. I could imagine a cooler arrangement. I do think this arrangement is, by the time we get to the 86 version, is pretty well larded with too much stuff, and I'm not one to call an arrangement busy normally, but this yeah. does actually probably get a bit busy at times. Still, it's magical. His singing on it is some of singing, some of those beautiful yeah. singing. The background vocals are amazing. Those just giant Paul, Linda, Denny, double tracked, stacked harmonies sounds fantastic. So yeah, this is a real gem. I love it. Yeah, this is by the way also one that I knew before I found the actual LP. So it was a it was a Napster find. I would have much preferred this to Once Upon a Long Ago. On all the best, because that's where it was meant to come out. Really? They really wanted it out there, yeah. Oh, yeah, I knew that. It's amazing to consider. I guess it explains why it ended up with such a modern-sounding synthesizer and, and brass arrangement. Yeah. That they were actually thinking of putting it on that set in 87. I think it would have blown my mind if I'd come across it in 87, frankly. I am a, an, a Once Upon a Long Ago fan. I, I really like that one, but... Oh, sure, it's great. When I first came across this one, I think I was maybe 16 or 17 and my first reaction was people who don't like Paul McCartney don't like him for very specific reasons you know they think he's corny they think it's you know kind of silly or effervescent or you know a fart in the wind or whatever when I heard this one for the first time I had that reaction because the lyrics are so saccharine to me the the love comes in love comes like what does that mean like it hmm. but it's a water spell well, I get that it's a water spout, man. <laughs> but, it, you know, it just seemed a little like, I don't know. It seems Beatles-esque to me. but Yeah, yeah I see, to me, this one read like a song he would have wound up giving to like Scylla Black or Billy J. Kramer or some shit like back in the day. But over the years, I've grown to really have a, a deep and serious and, and quite frankly, worrisome love for this song. To me, this is a list. This is a listen to what the man said. Silly love songs. This is just magic, like that wings magic, goofy magic, no doubt, yes. goofy as hell, but magic. You yes. Know. Yeah. And I, I do, again, I came around on it a, a, a lot, but in the same way I came around on Fuh You, I think I would like... It uh, hit me with that. I don't that. like that comparison too much. <laughs> <laughs> but it hit me with that. It, on the surface, it, I don't know. It just seemed, 
And again, look, I'm a pretty big fucking Paul McCartney fan, but I was like, really? whoa, yo, whoa. Uh, didn't very much enjoy it um, uh, again over the years. And uh, yeah, the, all the best thing was weird. And you also knew this one before you knew the Cold Cuts album? Yes. I guess well before, huh? Yeah, well, my dad started making a Yesterday and Today special back in 1999, so he was making this thing, and I was hearing all these tracks for the first time, you know, as I was growing up, and that was one that hit me in the teen years. Maybe if it had hit me at younger, I would have maybe taken it more at face value or something, but um, yeah, it's cool. It's one of those tracks you just would have never got, I think, in the Beatles, because John would have laughed him out of the room. Uh, <laughs> well, no, I just mean the love comes in, love goes out thing. That seems Beatles-esque. Oh, yeah. Not the, not the song. The song seems very Wings to me, not very Beatles-esque. Yeah. But the sentiment seems like a, an old-fashioned, you know, love is good, <laughs> Beatles, you know, love and peace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. What blew my mind, there's apparently, you know, on the All the Best album, there's all the cartoons of each of the song. Yeah. Icons, almost. There are, on the internet, versions of the album with a water spout cartoon. No. Yeah. Really? Yes. I'd love to buy one of those. I, yeah, I really wish this one came out on All the Best because that was one of my touchstones to McCartney. And it really, I agree with you, Mercer. It does have that cartoon whimsy magic, that Paul magic. I love the melody. I love the synth. You know, it's got some of that band on the run, African-y drumming going on in there. It does, yeah. yeah. Like Mamunia or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually love every single line of the song lyrically because it's just so goofy. I like the lyrics too, actually. Oh, can, hey guys, can I read them? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Read, reading lyrics, not quite the same as singing them, but okay. <laughs> Let's find a story in this, shall we, gents? So we have Daddy Loved a Dancer. Though yes. she never gave an answer, he used to follow her all about. So we've got a stalker situation Man happening stalking here. stalking a stripper. Mm-hmm. Still, she couldn't shake him. She's trying to get away from this guy. She didn't seem to make her mind up, though. So there's some confusion here. So he took her to the water spout. Hell yeah. I think that's his... That settles it. And when he took her to the water spout, she was like, oh yeah, I get it now. Because love comes in, love comes out. It's his dick. At the bottom. At the bottom. At the bottom bottom of the water spout. (laughs) So now we... (laughs) Wait, 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 wait. At the bottom, at the bottom of the water spout. I think I've found the story here. Okay, this is all about a hooker. So Woody wouldn't do it, so he couldn't... But he said he never blew it. He didn't know what was hanging out, so it was... (laughs) Was out? I'm still taking it as he's pursuing the woman, Mm -hmm. and he doesn't think he's done anything like wrong he thinks he's followed every <laughs> step correctly but mm-hmm. still not working out for him uh, despite uh, the water spout he took her to the water spout <laughs> but it's still not not quite coming together he may have to take her again is it possible they're going again to the water spout well now we have this line here till he got an answer out of daddy's dancer there's a love triangle here so there's woody and daddy and the dancer i think so woody's, there's a love triangle i think woody's his dick she took him to the water spout. So I think it's a little cat and mouse thing here. Okay. So you think Woody is his dick. So <laughs> daddy's Woody couldn't perform with the dancer. Yeah. Until he took her to the water spout, at which right. point love came in and love love went out. Uh-huh. And then we have... Um, Should uh, we read the lyrics to Jet while we're at it? <laughs> 
<laughs> ah, Mater. Daddy couldn't stand it, said Woody was a mad bandit, and they were knocking each other out. And then the little dancer came up with another answer, and she took him to a water spout, so maybe he had second thoughts. Maybe this is like a biker-like-an-icon situation where I the think lady... There's a, no, I think, there's a, I think there's a love triple at the end. Man. A triple. What do they call it when it's a when it's a threesome? But it's not a one night stand. It's a it's a permanent threesome. Anyway, it, maybe if that's what's happening. Daddy and Woody are actually separate characters, and they resolve it at the end with Man. love. I don't know. I don't know. I I'm, <laughs> I'm I guess I'm glad you did that. You know um, that it hurt a little bit to hear. It hurt a little bit. I love. I, hey Ryan, that's the subtitle for this episode. I guess I'm glad you did that. <laughs> I'm going to quote Voltaire. Everything too stupid to be said is sung. That's that's why, what I say to that. I mean, I knew the lyrics, but I always <laughs> sing the, sing along with them. It never occurs to me to, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that, that's harsh. No, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but uh, I think we're over that with Paul. Like, we're yeah. not expect- I mean, you're, did you say you like Spies Like Us? Oh, I love um, them. <laughs> you want to read those? What do you do? <laughs> oh, no. Um, Moving on. <laughs> Mama's little girl. Looking like a rag on Mama's little girl. Singing like a skylark, Mama's little girl. You better give me some time for this heart of mine, cause I just can't take it all in. Still, I will remember Mama's little girl. So this song, I think, is not only one of Paul's finest, but in my opinion, this is Beatles level music. At least to me, I could hear this on the White Album. I have a real, real love for this song. I don't know how you guys feel about it, but it's a favorite of mine. Yeah, we love this one. I think I can speak for Ryan on that. Great song. I don't know if I'd say Beatles level, and I don't know why I wouldn't say Beatles level. I'm sitting here thinking it's there's not much to it, but then there's not much to Mother Nature's Son either, so it's not much of a case to make. Yeah, as far as it fitting on the White Album, I agree that stylistically it fits on the White Album. Somehow it it's lacking something that those White Album songs have, but that could just be the sacredness of the White Album clouding things. I don't know, but I agree with you. It's wonderful. I love the clarinets. It's a wonderful arrangement. Oh yeah. This is primo Macca early 70s head voice here. This is exactly the singing style we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Beautiful. I like how dry this version is compared to the 90s ultra reverb. It's good to have both, but this one, it really does make it sound like a 70s McCartney's record, the mix yeah. we have. Right. Yeah. Yeah, this one, Hey Diddle, Bip Bop, all the, I loved all those little jingles, you know, Great Day, Dance Tonight, mm-hmm. all that stuff. They're, that's some of my favorite McCartney. And, but this one in particular, you know, that, you know, when my daughter was born, I tried to learn this on guitar, and I, I realized just how hard it is to do that finger-picking stuff when you're not used to doing it. And He's a two-finger picker, too. He's not a full finger-style guy. Everybody knows that, right? He's got that two-finger thing going. I actually don't know how to even start to do that. I could figure out the Donovan thing, because that's fairly simple, but the McCartney one, I never... I never got it. So you're saying it's two fingers. Well, I mean, when I play fingerstyle, I use all five fingers. Yeah. You can have notes in the chord that you're not going to actually play. That's what's nice about it. So it's like playing a keyboard. 
Paul has a way of doing it where he just uses two fingers. I think I'm right about this. Somebody will definitely check us on this. Where he just uses two fingers, but he's so adept at it that he gets these gorgeous little mama's little girl type guitar parts out of it. He makes really intelligent use of the open strings too. He like works them into the melody so he gets very smooth little melodic things on the guitar just by working in an open string next to a high fretted note. It's amazing. Picking up a mountain, you know, juxtaposed next to, you know, looking like a rosebud or, you know, whatever it is. It's just, I don't know, it's it's a wonderful new dad kind of sentiment. And, you know, especially when he wrote this one at the time, you know, he was a fairly fresh dad, you know, at least a few years in. And it reads like that to me. And it gained a lot of importance to me, when, of course, when my daughter was born. But even before that, you know, I just, for some reason, I felt this one very, very personally. And I love that it was all, you know, he kept picking it up and putting it down over the years, like a few times. It was in that 87 final mix, like they were working on it there. There was some tambourine added in 1980, apparently. The clarinets didn't show up until 86. And it was mastered in between Red Rose and Band on the Run on December 13th, I found, 1973 at Abbey Road. So clearly he's picking it up, putting it down, trying to find a place for it. Mm-hmm. Ultimately didn't until put it there. But like you said earlier in the show, Chris, like, yeah, I guess there's a lot of spiritual kinship between put it there and this one. Almost a flip of the two. Oh, yeah. Mama and Papa, right? Yeah. The vocal's great. I like it. I like it a lot. Wonderful. Yeah. So that was Mama's Little Girl. Now we can go on to, oh man, what a song. Night Out. Night Out. What a gem. talking about like i was discovering these things as i was growing up this one hit me around 1819 so i'm in a car i'm driving around and i'm going this song exists you know i'm turning night out up you know in my 95 saturn driving around new jersey you know like yes you hear ryan see i got into the song because of ryan i never liked this song until ryan pointed out like everything about it that was awesome. Not on the podcast. <laughs> Years before the podcast, he had been yeah. like, no, you're not listening to this. You need to, and he, we sat and listened to it together and he explained it to me. And I was like, oh, you're right. This is amazing. Yeah. That little overdub. <laughs> I don't like my job, but I need the pay. Like yeah. it's completely different. <laughs> when the take. weekend's here, yeah. I jump and shout. it's so funny fantastic this one i pair with road all night like this one and road all night are the same to me like just mccartney rock songs that i needed and didn't know existed and was so happy to find when i did you know (laughs) yeah this is fantastic so this goes back to red rose speedway and this was meant to open the original double album amazing 
weird. <laughs> I mean, it's cool. I, I, I really love Big Barn Bed. I'm a big, big barn bed guy, so I love that that opens Red Rose Speedway, but this would have been an interesting choice, I guess, to open that double album. Night Out starting Red Rose Speedway is bizarre. Yes, yeah. agreed. And, and especially with no lyrics on it, too. It's just a weird instrumental. Although Big Barn Bed, the lyrics are nonsensical, so I guess... And you've got Reception, you know. Yes. These things happen. I love Reception. <laughs> Ooh, I could have I gone for an eight-minute Reception, just hear that band jam. It's a good bass line, yeah. What are the lyrics to this song? So it's the weekend's here, it's my holiday, I don't like my job, but I need the pay. Or is that right? When the weekend's here, going to jump and shout. There's a dog barking on my big night out. If you lay your bet, that'll never end. If you lay a bet, that'll never end. Doesn't help me. I don't know what the fuck he's saying, but it's compelling, and I'm way I'm here for it the whole time. great song well this leads us to the robber's ball the last track on the a side of this album what the hell is this proto mccartney 2 right right my first note on it is in all caps weird maca reigns supreme It's a weird one. This one reminds me a lot of like Boyle Crisis or Give Us a Chord Roy, like one of those little weird things yeah. that I I love. I think I like those two better than this one ultimately, but it's more like a scribble or like a sketch, you know, more than a yeah. song. He does his little fake opera voice on this, and it's just kind of a reminder that there's an opera singer just lurking under the surface all the time when <laughs> Paul is singing, you know. Like yeah. he really has that kind of voice. It comes out in moments in My Love or other things like that. But when he actually just does the goofy fake opera singer, you think, God, he actually could do that. Yeah. <laughs> and then you get also those grunts, those Macca grunts from him on this. He's good at grunts and getting close to the mic and using his nose in the mic and yeah, all that stuff. He's great at that. I guess this was recorded toward the tail end of the Back to the Egg sessions. It looks like Autumn 78. Makes sense. Yeah, I'm recalling that Lawrence Juber told us he was very proud of this, that he had had a, it was really mostly him and Paul doing this, and yeah. that he was very proud of his contribution to it and hoped the track would get, you know, more play at some point. And not can beat us northern lads, especially when we've had a pint or two. Yeah, these lyrics are hilarious. Weird electronic strings and synthesizers and 
It is a heavily overdubbed track. I can't make heads or tails of it sometime. I go, how did he make that sound? I'm not really sure. And the fact that it is mostly Paul singing those things is baffling to me. Yeah. Baffling. It's amazing. So this one was recorded in that castle, I guess, in Kent. Oh, right. It gives each of these Wings albums a different flavor based on where they were recorded or where he was pulling the particular environmental sounds from. So you have what you have Nigeria, you have New Orleans, you have a fucking boat. And in this one, it's very English. Like all back to the egg sounds very English to me. And, and I guess that's because it was literally recorded in a castle in Kent, but mm. you know, he does a lot of the English accents on this uh, album era, that kind of thing. And we get that on here too. So very much consistent mm. with the back to the egg era. Agreed. Yeah. It's a cool song, but we flip this album over and it's my favorite of the, the whole project, Cage. I can't get enough of this song. It's never bad, this song, ever. It's baffling how good it is. One of my favorites. article on the internet years ago it's probably long gone it was an article about how bad a songwriter paul mccartney can really be and it used cage as the example and it was a whole critique of how bad a song cage is how bafflingly nonsensical and thrown together it is yeah and how it makes perfect sense it was left off the album although it's of course a terrible album from the reviewer's point of view i was just very surprised to see someone like use this not only know the track, but use it as just the original example of how a, what a terrible songwriter he actually is. Wow. Yeah. So they went through the lyrics a lot the way that uh, Paul just did with Waterspout <laughs> and said, what in the hell is supposed to be happening here? <laughs> and, and if you take that approach, you know, with Paul... <laughs> It's, you may not like yeah. what you find. Yeah. Uh, look, I, it's a mashup song. It, it's clear he had two songs he didn't know what to do with. He shoved them together. You get this a lot in McCartney songs over the years. And he thinks he's doing day in the life every time. He's not. But that's okay. You know, I think, and ultimately, you know, Ryan, you and I have talked about this before, even on Now Hear This, where we're like, hey, Paul, just you doing you is fine. Like, it doesn't always have to be a day in the life. Like, no. You, you being Paul is what we kind of love anyway. So, you know, it's, it's cool. But this one, you know, there's like the sunny side of this song. And then there's like the darker side of this song. And one is more of like a breakup kind of thing. And he didn't mean it. No, said he didn't mean it. No, that kind of thing. Great hooks. But they both play with two different kind of emotions. I don't care how stupid it is. I don't know what a provisional license is. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that what you get when you're 15? Sort of a provisional license. Oh, yeah. It's just so fun and funny, and it just doesn't matter. Just listen to it, and it's fun. Not every song has to say something. It's true. This one reminded me, actually, as I was listening to it again last night, 
It reminded me of like a, a Nurk Twins song. There's almost a, a very, very early proto beatles kind of thing going on here, especially when you hear the lyrics, but also in its simplicity, uh, but also but in its, its hookiness too. Yeah. Yeah. Just that vocal at the end. If you want to talk music theory for a bit, the opening riff is in C. It actually spells out cage, the chord mm-hmm. C, A, G, E. But by <laughs> you get... When you get past the horrifying clown uh, bridge. I love the calliope. It's amazing. And then it's up to E. So he takes it up two whole steps and he's ripping that vocal. It's great. I don't don't care if you... Some nerd on the internet doesn't like it. I'm here to tell all you nerds. Well, that was year. That was like 15 years ago or something. Yeah. yeah. Is Pound is Sinking the next evolution of Cage? I don't know. I think a Pound is Sinking kind of comes out of Uncle Albert and Amaral Halsey. Or even Band on the Run. That's that McCartney sweet thing. Mm-hmm. Which this is too. I mean, I love the songs crammed together. That's a favorite feature of mine with Paul. Yes. I try to do it myself as a songwriter and I just can't. I can never quite talk myself into doing it <laughs> in as extreme and careless a way to really capture that whimsy of, yep, it's just two songs. Here they are. Here's one of them. Here's the other one for a while. Here's the first one for a while. Yeah, that's amazing to me that he's willing to do that. Here's what you do. Surround yourself with yes men for 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe. Or just, just be really creative and stoned. It's true. And, it's true. you know, yeah. Yeah. Well, there's that song, It's Not On from the Pipes of Peace album where it's similar. Oh, God. That thing is insane. Yeah, that's actually kind of one of my favorite of the of all the Leftover Paul songs. That thing is ridiculous. Yeah. Really good. I slept on the Pipes of Peace box. I have most of them, but I'm missing Pipes of Peace. So I actually hadn't heard that until last night. And again, I've been living and breathing this stuff for my entire <laughs> life. And there's still like songs I heard that it's not on last night. I was like, wow. Yeah, there's a Memorial Day weekend that Paul was busy that you didn't catch up on yet. (laughs) (laughs) He had like a four-day weekend. (laughs) He did did a couple albums. Yeah. Oh, that guy. That guy. Amazing. Amazing. Truly amazing. Yeah, I think that takes us to Did We Meet Somewhere Before? So we're going to see some of these movie soundtrack rejections here. I like this song a lot. Mm Mm-hmm. same time next year i pair together they feel similar to me but they are very similar this is another one where i was hit immediately with the cornball paul and had to kind of shake it a little bit i always think i don't like this song but whenever i play it i don't turn it off and i sing along to it which i think means that i actually do like (laughs) the song i really paul do you just generally not like sort of like 70s soft rock no is that just a vibe that you're not into because that's what this is. And if you're not into that vibe, this would hit you as corny. For me, it's like, I love that stuff. Stephen Bishop and, 
Andrew Gold and all that shit from the 70s. That's <laughs> like, I love that shit. But if you're not into that, then this would just come off as that stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So M-O-R, F-M, 70s stuff. Middle of the road. I put this also with like Loving Flame and Only Love Remains where it's like... That's a different era though. I know it's a different era, but to me, they're all the same song. To me, it's like a... It's like a, there's an idea under there that's under-realized, and McCartney knows enough about craft to fake his way through it. But at the end of the day, I just feel like it it needed some kind of kick in the ass that a partner or a songwriting companion, somebody, that would have given it something a little bit more, it, just for me personally. But again, whenever I put it on, I don't turn it off, and I sing along to it. I'm sitting in here singing... Did we meet somewhere before last night? And my wife comes in. She's like, are you singing in here? I was like, yes. Yes, I am. I'm singing Did We Meet Somewhere Before. And I don't even think I like this song. Yeah, it's a good song. That's why you're singing. <laughs> it's, a, it's an excellent song. <laughs> well, we always came back to the song we were singing. Um, ah. So it is on the rock and roll high school movie, not in the soundtrack. But Ryan, do you know what is on the soundtrack? What is? So it goes. Your boy. Oh, Nick Lowe. I like, I like a bit of Nick Lowe. So it goes. Mm, and Todd you. Rundgren's on there. What's Todd's song on that? A song called A Dream Goes On Forever. Oh. Oh, of course. Yeah. What a delight. What album is that from, Ryan? It's on Todd. Oh, it's on Todd. Okay. One of two actual songs on Todd, the rest of which are just 12-minute instrumental stoner synthesizer things. Yeah, I remember Todd being a bummer of an album. Yeah. It's a drag. <laughs> it's a drag, that one. That's the follow-up to Wizard, where he tries to top Wizard with a, with the weirdness, and it's just not possible. Do we know who scored this one? I like the score a lot. As I say, the version in the movie, apparently no score. It's, it's kind of like hearing Long and Winding Road in its non-orchestral version. Interesting. It's just this little soft rock song with a little band. Yeah. yeah. In a way, it's cooler. I like the orchestrations on Same Time Next Year, but yeah. I actually kind of like that stripped down version of Did We Meet Somewhere Before. I'm going to watch this movie tonight, I think. I've never seen it. I haven't either. Also, I'm going to watch Rock and Roll High School right after. What are you doing tonight? Oh, just a tribute to, uh, did we meet somewhere before? Like, what are you guys doing right now? <laughs> well, I was in this, like, Maca movie hole, like, looking up all these different facts about these films. And that's when I found that scene, that cut scene for, of, uh, of Jennifer Lawrence dancing to Live and Let Die from, uh, from that movie a few years back. Uh, oh, yeah, that was 2014's, what was that called? American Hustle? Yeah, that's the one. Well, yeah, I guess that takes us to Hey Diddle. Oh, I love this one. That's my sweet spot. I'm not so hot on Hey Diddle. 
so-so on Hey Diddle. I like it. Don't love it. You guys like Hey Diddle more or Bit Bop more? Oh, that's an interesting question. I think I like Hey Diddle more than Bit Bop. Okay. I think yeah. I like Bit Bop more than Hey Diddle. Oh, yeah? Because of the sound of the record, it's so weird. It is a weird sound, but so is Hey Diddle. Yeah. That's true. Like, by the time you get to the, the Cold Cuts version anyway, you've got all the fiddles on it and everything. It's And uh, what is it? I wouldn't buy her a wooden chair? Wouldn't care or something oh, like that. Yeah. It's a really strange lyric. <laughs> I wouldn't make her a wooden table. No, he table. never actually. He actually never says wooden chair, even though he's begging to say wooden chair. That's the joke. He says, "I wouldn't make her a wooden table," and then he says, "Wouldn't care." <laughs> Instead of wooden chair, you're thinking table and chair, but he never says chair. I am wouldn't just. Care. <laughs> I am just realizing that now. <laughs> I wouldn't make her a wooden table. I wouldn't care. That's one of those McCartney flip things where yeah. it's like biker like an icon. I like an icon or whatever yeah. it was. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then he's hoping somebody will come along and think it's deep. And, you know, somebody might. Who knows? Well, I caught it. I didn't think it was deep. <laughs> <laughs> I kept wanting him to say chair. Would you just say chair already? <laughs> Table and chair. <laughs> so this song is forever stapled to that film of them in scotland where he's playing it on the guitar and outside with the kids yeah and the kids are doing the like horsey thing or whatever it's just so sweet to me this is just this is that pure mccartney that phrase that was coined over the past 10 years or 20 years whatever this is just pure mccartney to me i, I this is this is what i love about paul this one yeah, well, this is in that tradition you were talking about, the great day, mama's little girl, put it there, sort of tradition of little acoustic songs, kind of nursery rhymey. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like that stuff, too. I think Ryan and I, we talked about. Yeah. Also, also, Calico Skies is in that number. Yes. And, you know, I would love the idea of, of a whole album of Paul just doing stuff like that. Yeah, look, there's a whole quarantine on. The world's got a plague going on. Paul, just just sit down, come up with some That's ditties. Right. Come on. Go out by the tree, by the yeah. fire. <laughs> yeah. Bring a, you know, bring your phone and make us an album up. That'd He's alone, great. right? Nancy's not, yeah. Nancy's in New York, so. Well, Paul has that enormous studio he can just use, right? <laughs> yes, just that too. Nah, go, go by the tree. Go, go the make tree. McCartney three for me, <laughs> thanks. Uh, yeah, this, you know, part of me wants to be kind of like uh, uh, cynical about that back to nature image that those two were projecting. But I I do think that there was a genuine yearning by Paul and Linda in those early 70s to kind of yes, get away from the money. I think so. I really feel it on those albums, those early 70s things. Yeah. How do you guys feel about the country twang on the, on the Memphis versions of these? I like it. I don't have an allergy to it. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, this 86 version is fine with me. The version on the Ram Archive Edition is different. I think we already noted that, but yeah. it's not the version. It's not the Cold Cuts version. No fiddle, right? I don't remember all the differences, but I remember noting distinctly this is not the Cold Cuts version. Yeah. It's clean, though. Like everything, it's clean. But Yeah. I think they left the fiddle off because that was a 74 thing. That sounds right, yeah. Well, that brings us to Tragedy, which was originally a hit for Thomas Wayne, March of 1959. That original, what a delight that record is. Yeah, we played that on Take It Away. It's very nice. A number five hit song in uh, 58. That's pretty big. When that storm comes aside, and the stars might 
appeared on an MPL promotional sampler called We Moved in the late 70s. <laughs> what? Yeah, so a, po- a portion of this was actually out. I didn't see it, but I was going through the liner notes and the, the CD version of... There's, there's annotated notes for every song. I was like, oh, I didn't know that. Hmm. This is what we're still delivering up. New information. Yeah. I want to say the version on my Cold Cuts LP of Tragedy is not actually my favorite version. I don't think this one has the sitars, and I like the one with the sitars. Sitars, cool. Yeah, that's where we get that awesome photo of Paul high as shit wearing moon boots and a turban. Yes. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. and, and that image is synonymous with me thinking about Glenn Johns telling him to go fuck himself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I sure like that sitar part. <laughs> You got to do what you got to do. <laughs> I have two personal stories about tragedy. One, this is a, one of the songs I used to teach myself how to play the drums. Just a basic rhythm. Like I, I queued up a couple songs and had them in headphones and taught myself how to play this kind of a beat with that. That's cool. And then my other one with tragedy is, again, going back to, you know, listen to my dad's special over the years. When I first heard this song, it was around the time you know, that I learned about how that first iteration of Wings broke up. And so in my mind, forever linked is the idea of Henry McCulloch having musical differences with McCartney and mm. this song. Um, mm. and, and in my mind, I've conflated the two uh, to be like, to oh, Henry, like this is the kind of one of the reasons he left. Obviously, we found out later it's actually a little more like financial reasons but oh yeah in my head i struggle to separate the idea of this being almost the wings version of like babe from sticks or so like where tommy shaw's like Ugh, you know like that kind of thing but it's it's not that kind of thing first it's a cover but also you know it's it's actually pretty soulful it's a great record i'm surprised that he didn't like it and i really think it should have come out doesn't make a lot a whole lot of sense to me yeah I thought Paul wrote it for the longest time because I wasn't reading the liner notes. I'm like, why is this not available? But there you go. Sometimes it happens that way. Yeah, I had my handy-dandy printout, so I knew that he didn't write it. (laughs) (laughs) I want a pair of moon boots now. I know. (laughs) You guys ever hear that story of how, like, wings like surrounded glenn johns in the studio when glenn dared to criticize paul and like they kind of ganged up on him and no. i would have paid real money to, to been there and just heard some of that stuff it's amazing i always thought it was mary had a little lamb where he walked in and was like this sucks but that could just be wishful thinking see i like that mary had a little lamb <laughs> that's cornball mccartney that uh, i don't know it feels warm and fuzzy i don't know yeah well I think that brings us to Best Friend. Best 
Now, my question, my first question is, is this about John Lennon? So, I always thought that, and it would kind of make sense. It's sort of in that window. However, they had reconciled privately and agreed to stop writing songs about each other, or at least putting them out at the very tail end of 71. And this version we get is from live in 72. So it would seem strange to me that he would then go and play something like this live. I looked for any somebody saying this is about John Lennon online. And the only thing I found, and actually it's kind of curious, on Paul's own website, on uh, a post dated November 30th, 2018, they're talking about the Red Rose Speedway bonus tracks. And the quote is this, newly mastered and never before released, best friend, a song many believed to be a message to John Lennon comes as a live version recorded during. So it's not Paul saying this is about, but the fact that they wrote that on the website is weird to me. That is pretty weird. Hmm. If you look at the lyrics, it doesn't really seem to be about John. I tend to reject most of the this is about John theories, at least after Dear Friend, from Dear Friend on. And even Dear Friend is barely about John because Paul can't help himself from straying into nonsense, you know. So it's kind of about John insofar as it's not nonsense. Dear Friend, that is. But Best Friend, I think he's on to something else. Yeah. I think it's got a great vocal, and it would make sense that if it was cut during this era because High 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 exists or was being created, and they sort of fill the same void. Yeah. And High 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 is a bit funnier and broader and more subtle. Mm-hmm. But there were a lot of those songs from that era that really didn't make it out or ended up in different versions and. I think it's just Paul trying to write rock and roll again and trying to do something that doesn't sound like the Beatles, right. which John did a lot as well. And we know he needed, or they, the band felt they needed rockers for the road. So, you know, I, I'd take this over like Henry's Blues. Oh, Henry's like Blues, of course. There's a hook on it. The vocal's nice. Yeah. yeah. You're totally right about that. Yeah, I mean, that's it's all, all I really have to say about Best Friend. Simple lyric. It's a favorite of mine. I I had it at the top of a lot of mixes in high school. I guess that just brings us to same time next year. Must we wait another year for the celebration, dear? If we do, we'll hold it here. Same time next year I'll be the same as ever Maybe wearing something else Ah, but nothing changes I love this song Out of this one or the other one The Did We Meet Somewhere Before I think this is my preferred movie song So it comes It's We've discussed it It comes from a movie where this guy's been having an affair for years with a woman just once a year, same time, every place. And I just think it's a really well-constructed song. And I'm glad it eventually made its way out the door same time next year because it just... Yeah. When they put it there, I really like that track a lot. Have you guys seen the movie? The 78 Alan Alda movie? Was it? I saw it. I found it really touching. I did think we mentioned it on Take It Away, but I saw it and was surprised at how like sort of melancholy a movie it was. I actually thought that the Marvin Hamlish thing they went with 
was a much more effective choice than the McCartney song would have been. The last time I felt like this. Yeah, because they repeat it throughout the movie. What they do is they keep showing little montages of time going by. So they're kind of showing all the big news events of the day as they play that sad song. (laughs) And it's about this couple who are committing adultery over the course of about 30 years. They keep meeting. Even though they're both married, they keep meeting and having this tryst. And it goes on and on and on for decades. Amazing. The song is about time passing and they're still meeting. It's kind of an amazing movie. I was really surprised. Well, you're making me want to watch it. I've never been curious, but now Good I luck am. finding it. I don't know how you find it, but it's. Uh, I hear people can find things. There's a special room down the hall. The password okay. is Yellow Submarine. If you, if you okay. get in there, they'll, they'll play it for you. Don't go in because you'll end up like us. So what I loved learning about this one this time around was that it was the very first recording session with the Back to the Egg lineup of Wings. That's oh my wild. <laughs> Isn't that great? Uh, and, and it explains why it's got that little London town texture to it. It's not quite Back to the Egg yet. It's sort of in the middle. I have the stats on this, by the way. May 5th, 1978 at RAK Studios. The orchestral session was held the next day at Abbey Road. I got to know this one first on the Flowers in the Dirt double CD, the Japanese double CD, because it collected all the B-sides and things. Every time I hear this one end, I'm expecting Party Party to come on. Oh, I love a, <laughs> mm, I love Party Party. Oh, that's a good. See, that's the more realized my carnival to me is Party Party. I like Party Party. Party Party is a weird one. I Some of those, <laughs> I still am like, wait, why did this exists? Where are we? What is going on? It's so weird. <laughs> Well, I think that's it, right? That wraps it up. Yeah. Do you guys have any final thoughts on cold cuts? Just love, really. As I said before, picking this up at Amoeba in 2002 and finally consolidating some of this stuff and finding out what it was. What an adventure. This and the late 90s Napster days combined for me, this is where I really began to find out what the magnitude of McCartney's career really was. So I always think of it as like this starting point where, yeah, I knew all his albums and a lot of his singles and a lot of his B-sides. Shit. I didn't know that that was the tip of the iceberg. I thought I'd done a lot of work. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I found out that I was getting started. (laughs) (laughs) Then you realize you weren't even halfway to Hog Hill yet. (laughs) Well, and you know, I used to have dreams as a kid of finding like, the Beatles album you never knew existed or the Paul McCartney album you never knew existed. And it happened in Amoeba Records. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it was really that weird, like, wait a minute, what is this? It's and really taking cool. that home, that thing home and yeah. Uh, Cause I knew only maybe three or four of the songs on it. So much of it was new for me and it was just like, wow, what in the hell is happening? Well, thanks for, uh, going on this journey with us, Chris. This is a lot of fun. I, you know, yeah, it was great fun. Can't believe we did it. I've wanted to do this for so long. I've, you know, who else can I talk to for two hours about cold cuts about? (laughs) (laughs) And maybe we'll catch uh, somebody in uh, in his car going. Surely no one's talking for two hours about cold cuts (laughs) out there. And yet, yes, they are. And yet, (laughs) well, thanks for coming on, Paul and Chris, and thanks, thank you to me, Mo. I appreciate it. (laughs) And we'll see you guys maybe same time next year. Same time next year. Enjoy every sandwich. Enjoy every sandwich. (laughs) That's our new sign off. Make it a club. Hey. Maca brand. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) 
Do you have an opinion about the album we discussed today? Contact us at at now hear this podcast on Instagram, at now hear this pod on Twitter, Facebook.com slash now hear this podcast, or email us at now hear this official at gmail.com. See you next time. And the idea is tap yeah. it and clap it in tempo. Yeah, yeah, yeah I got it. Man. One, yeah. <laughs> One, two, three, four. Okay. Nice. Okay. Did I pass? Did I pass the audition? I think I think I think you passed. You passed the audition, Paul. It's fine fine work. You learned how to clap from a professor of music. Thanks, Mo. Well, hey Ryan. Hey Paul, how are you? Well, I'm good. I'm here to tell the listeners that if they'd like to contribute mm. to help keeping these now hear this episodes coming, well they can donate featuring the wonderful new donation technology that Acast has developed for us. That's right, Acast has helped us out. They host the show. Yeah, our hosts, Acast, have made it really easy to donate to the show. They have an Acast supporter feature, and there's a link in the show description that you can follow to kick a couple bucks for the show. It can be five bucks, a hundred bucks, less than a dollar. We don't care. Yeah, just something to keep the lights on. It's all out of pocket, and we do this out of love, and that's it. And we love you all for listening. Thank you very much for doing that. Couldn't said it better myself. It's okay. All right, well, bye then. <laughs>